Uh, before we pray and hear the exhortation of, of God's Word, let's read together uh, Romans 5. I'll read the first uh, two verses in that of 18 and 19, and then if you would, join with me in, in response in verses 20 to 21. Verse 18, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in. Grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace Christ also reigned through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly gracious Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your Son Jesus. May we bask in, in that great truth here this morning, and may we continue to rejoice even as we leave today throughout each and every day that you have given us. Father, I pray for for our ears to be open, prepared to hear the word. May you guide Cody's lips as he exhorts the word. May he go no farther than what the word expresses. May we rejoice. May we be sanctified. May your word and your gospel be hallowed in all your churches this morning. May we do all things to the praise of, of your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. If you would open your copy of God's Word up to Psalm 22, that's where we'll be at today. Psalm 22, it's a psalm written by David, chock full of suffering, agony, pain. We're not sure exactly when it was written, but we can see from the text that David was in some sort of despair. Something that he could not escape from himself. His his, his pain is is figuratively shown here by by animals devouring him. Lions opening wide their mouth. a, A wild bull with his horns ready to take him out. There's a great pain and suffering expressed in our text today. And David, who penned this psalm, was obviously not just an ordinary man in Israel. He was king of Israel. So this is a psalm that should present us with something that seems out of order and not right. This this great man, crowned with glory and honor over Israel, is, is brought down now into the depths of the pit of suffering. This great king is experiencing great sorrow and agony. He's rejected by everybody around him. He has no one on his side. In fact, as we read in the first verse, even God has forsaken him. Should be odd. It should sound out of place that this is happening to the king of Israel. Not only that, but at the end of the psalm we read that this king who has been brought to the brink of death, is now singing praise to his God. And he's singing praise to his God 
in the midst of his brethren. To this, Abrard says, if now the first, the imperfect David, held it as an essential part of his messianic calling to love his subjects as brethren in God, to care for the salvation of their souls, and to lift them up to his own relation of sonship to God, how could the second, the perfect David, be inferior to him in this? And this is the author's intent in Hebrews 2. In in Hebrews 2, verse 22 of this passage in Psalm 22 is quoted where he proclaims that Christ says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. And so this psalm takes on not just the sufferings of David, but the sufferings of the greater David, who cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have a king in this psalm. We have a king that struggles in a multitude of ways, yet when the Lord exalts him back to his throne, he doesn't trample on his subjects, but rejoices with them as brothers. And so my goal, as we look at this psalm today, my goal is to present this king, this Christ, who suffered before you did. This this great king, this great Christ, who can sympathize with you in your sufferings because he is your kinsman, because he is your brother, because he has become like you in all respects and yet without sin so that you can follow him to the throne room. He's your forerunner. He's your captain. And he's your brother. Remember the definition we established weeks ago of the kinsman redeemer. It's it's a close relative who restores or preserves the full community rights of disadvantaged family members. The first part of that, a relative. He must first be a relative. And so my goal then today is to establish that Christ is your relative. He is your brother. He is closely related to you so he can come alongside you and be your redeemer. He is not far off. He is not distant. He is not only God, but he is man. And this, says John Owen, is a ground of unspeakable consolation unto believers, with supportment in every condition. No unworthiness in them, no misery upon them shall ever hinder the Lord Christ from owning them and openly avowing them to be his brethren. He is a brother born for the day of trouble, a redeemer for the friendless and fatherless. Let their miseries be what they will. He will be ashamed of none, but of them who are ashamed of him and his ways. And Calvin, speaking of Christ's humanity, says, What then of man, plunged by his mortal ruin into death and hell, defiled with so many spots, befouled with his own corruption, and overwhelmed with every curse? In undertaking to describe the mediator then, Paul, with good reason, distinctly reminds us that he is man. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. He could have said God, or he could at least have omitted the word man just as he did the word God. 
But because the Spirit, speaking through his mouth, knew our weakness, at the right moment, he used a most appropriate remedy to meet it. He set the Son of God, familiarly among us, as one of ourselves. End quote. So as we read our passage today, you're going to notice how familiar it sounds. Although this was penned by David in regards to his own suffering, it is truly prophetic of a greater king who will suffer in a much greater manner. Christ is spoken of clearly in this psalm, and as a matter of fact, as the author of Hebrews says, Christ is the one speaking in this psalm. David speaks only as a type and a shadow of the greater king, the greater David, of the Christ who is coming, who will experience the agony of this in a much greater depth. So with that in mind, let's read Psalm 22. We're going to read through to verse 24. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all of you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that your name is so great. 
that you do not despise the affliction of the afflicted. That when we come to you and cry for help, your, your righteous ones, your children will not be put to shame. Oh, Father, help us to see our Christ today. Help us to see our Christ as a human like us. Help us to see our Savior as one who we can come to with our worries and with our problems. Help us to see him as one whose yoke is easy and burden is light. And help this message and this psalm encourage us to run to Christ. To run to Christ with all that we have. Because he will never forsake us nor leave us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 22. It's, it's like a, a resounding cry. This psalm begins with that well-known phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so it was with David that he felt altogether forsaken by his God, yet in faith still clung to the hope of that name, my God. Thus his, his proclamation here is not crying out to a distant God or a God who is far off. David cries out to his own God, a close God who seemed to have forsaken him. And we too may feel this at times when our faith is weak and the light our God provides is dim. We walk in darkness and can do nothing but cry out to him, trying to figure out what is going on. Like David in the psalm, we may cry by day and night and find absolutely no rest. Yet we know that our faith will get the victory. That this is our God, my God. And for Christ, this was only heightened. In the days of Christ's flesh, we are told that he offered up loud cries and tears to him that was able to save him from death. And we read that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so sorrowful and troubled that he felt as though he might die from the agony. So great was this agony that our elder brother sweat drops of blood. This great pain and agony follows him to the cross where he cries out this phrase, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as John Andrews says, God indeed had forsaken him. Until his anger was pacified and his wrath appeased, notwithstanding that he feeleth himself, as it were, wounded with God's wrath and forsaken for our sins, yet he ceaseth, ceaseth not to put his confidence in God and call upon him. It was our sins and the heavy burden thereof, which this deeply tormented Christ did undergo. Through the which our sins and iniquities, God was so highly displeased that they being laid upon his son's shoulders, made him to cry with a loud voice about the ninth hour of the day, saying, Oh my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And neither did Christ seem to find any rest in his pleading with God. He stayed up all night in that garden, awaiting his death. But again, faith prevails. Look at verses 3 through 5. 
David's circumstances did not change the holiness of God. Nor do they change the fact that God remains the deliverer of his fathers. History has shown that God will redeem his people. We must only wait on him. And that is precisely what David is doing. You're holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. The struggle's not easy. But those who have trusted in God have never, have never been put to shame. And so it is with Christ that he proclaims our God to be the deliverer of his fathers. And most importantly, for our understanding of the text today, if we understand this text to be prophetic, if we understand this to be Christ speaking, then we see Christ crying out to his Father, needing help. We see Christ as a man like unto us in our weaknesses, needing the strength of the Father to get through what he's going through. We see Christ looking to the history of his fathers. And he relates himself as a man to the fathers of Israel and says, you helped them, God. You delivered them. Don't be far off from me now. Don't forsake me now. There's a, there's a struggle in the inner man in recognizing the holiness of God and fighting with the fact that he's not giving an answer. That he has turned his face. But you're the God of my father's. You answered them when they called you for help. But me? Look at Christ's statement in verses 6 through 8. I am a worm. I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind, despised by the people, all who see me mock me. I'm not helped. I'm being regarded as a worm and not a man. In the words of Calvin, this is one who is abased beneath all man and as it were, cut off from the land of the living. A worthless worm, trampled under the feet of those who walk on the earth. Could it be? Could it be that the Son of God, the great and glorious Christ, full of beauty and splendor, is despised by mankind? having no form or majesty that they should look at him. They stand in mockery of the Holy One. Yet, he is a man that they're even able to stand before him. The mockery here of our greater David is, is deep and painful. They're sneering at his relationship to God. They're insinuating that he's utterly estranged from the God in whom he trusts or claims to trust. He's, he's utterly cut off from the deliverer of Israel. He's a criminal upon the cross and that God he's crying out to will reject him and won't help him. They not only mock him, but they mock his faith in the deliverer. In the minds of those mockers, there was, there was absolutely no way, no way that this man would be delivered. But yet look at verses 9 through 11. 
Again, appealing to history. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. I keep adding the word mother there. You are he who took me from the womb. You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Oh, Christ says, the Lord has sustained me from birth until now. All of my past points to the fact that he will continue to sustain me. As long as he wills, it was God who made me trust him. How could he forsake me now? Won't my God be the one to help me when no one else will? When trouble is near and there is none to help, will the deliverer come and rescue? When all my friends have turned their back and my enemies unite against me, O Lord, do not be far off now. And we see Christ entrusting himself to the faithful one. His faithful father, the God who has sustained him all of his life. Even when his enemies are more in number than the hairs of his head. When he is, being, when he is bearing the reproaches of those who reproach God. When our precious brother has become a stranger and an alien to his brothers. So lowly is this man that even the drunkards make songs about him, yet in all of his pain, he continues to place his trust in God. And listen to this. Just because Jesus did it, doesn't mean it was easy for him. We're presented in the scriptures with this view toward Christ and his suffering as it being just as real. As if any other man were to go through that suffering. He suffered as a man. Flesh of our flesh. Bone of our bone. Blood of our blood. He suffered like we suffer. And yet sinned not once. The author of Hebrews in speaking of Christ. Gives us this exhortation. He says. He says. You haven't yet resisted sin to the point of shedding blood, have you? Because our Christ did. Our Christ did. And the fact that our Christ resisted sin so fiercely that he shed blood shows us even more of his humanity. Shows us even more that he is a man like us. The pain only deepens in verses 12 through 18. As bulls are encompassing him, opening their mouths like a raving and roaring lion, he's being poured out like water, bones out of joint, his heart is melting like wax inside of him. Strength is dried up like a piece of pottery, a, a, a scorched piece of clay. His tongue sticks to his jaws, his mouth is so dry. From David's point of view in, in writing this, you see the, the pain he's feeling during this time, the pain of being surrounded by his enemies, the fear making his mouth dry, his heart feeling as though it's, it's just melting within him, that he has no strength left to fight. He was surrounded and trapped. There was no way of escape. And he's pleading with his God to deliver him. He's pleading that God would... would do something to save him from this moment. He sees no escape. 
And so Christ experiences the same. So Christ in his life experiences the same. These bulls surrounding him, wanting to take his life. Like those of that great forest, Bashan. These, these great bulls coming in after him. Opening their mouths and seeking to devour him like a ravening and roaring lion. Jesus is being poured out like water as his limbs are stretched out upon the tree. His heart melts within his breast as he loses all life. Our dear Savior struggles as his strength leaves him completely. His mouth so dry that his tongue tongue sticks to the roof roof of it. The Father, this passage says in verse 15, the Father lays him in the dust of death. There is then, in some respect, in these verses, almost a threefold pain that we see Christ experiencing. Christ, first off, is is experiencing the pain of other people rebelling against him, surrounding him, tormenting him. The loneliness of having no one on earth to rescue him, nobody on his side, he stands alone. He's surrounded by men, of course, but they're dogs. They're evildoers. They want to take his life. And seeing his death coming soon, they take the only thing he seems to have left, his clothes. And not even giving him the dignity to be dressed. They take it all. Secondly, Christ experiences here a physical pain of being poured out like water, his bones out of joint His hands and feet pierced, his strength gone. We all know to some extent what pain feels like. And what a wonder it is to know that our Savior has experienced pain in a much deeper sense. He was in complete and total agony. And thirdly, with all of this, Christ experiences being forsaken by God. It was God who laid him in the dust of death. God gave his life to those murderers, those dogs, those bulls. With his enemies so great around him, and his God laying him in the dust of death, Christ, in verses 19 through 21, Continues to call for help. You, O Lord, do not be far off. You see that? But you, O Lord. These enemies surround me. The bulls encompass me. But you, Lord, don't be far off at this moment. O you, my help. All he has left. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Cords of death are encompassing and tightening all around to the point that there's no plausible escape for him. You stand before your enemy and you fall. Christ's life is fading away and there is only one who can deliver him now. God alone is our strength and a very present help in times of trouble. This soul that Christ speaks of here, 
It's the only one he has. This life that Christ speaks of here, again, is the only one he has. He must be delivered. And after that plea, at the end of verse 21, we read with great triumph, You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. So I'll tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So often in the psalm, we we read of the enemies of Christ being depicted as these merciless animals who come at him from all angles, who seek to devour him, destroy him. Yet Christ is delivered from death. Our Christ died as a man and was raised to life as a man. He died our brother and was raised to life our brother. He went down as our kinsman and he came back as our kinsman. Christ was delivered from the power of death. In the grave he laid for three days, but by the power of God he was raised to life, never to see death Again, it only befits our Redeemer that he suffer as a man and that he be glorified as a man. So we read of his great praise as the Lord delivers him from the great enemy, death. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Praise him. so significant of a response. Mostly because of its apostolic usage in Hebrews. Because we're given that great hope that this king, well, let's actually go back a step. King David, King David, when he went through all this torment, when he was on his kingly throne and then he was brought down to all of this torment and then he's raised back to his throne and he doesn't trample. He does not trample the people of his kingdom, but he stands among them. And after all this pain and all this agony, the great King David tells of God's salvation to his brothers. And he brings his his brothers alongside him to worship the Lord. David's brotherhood, when he speaks in this psalm, is limited. It's limited to blood relation. To those of the kingdom of Israel who are physical offspring of Abraham. Christ does not have such a limit. Just like with Boaz and Ruth, Ruth was no blood relation to Boaz. Ruth was related to Boaz by covenant. And so it is with our Lord. Listen to Malin on Christ's brothership to us. He says, Christ, by professing his faith or trust in God, declares himself to be a son of Abraham. 
consequently related as a brother to all who believe. Whether Jew or Gentiles, they having the same spirit of faith. And so Christ is your brother because you're a son of Abraham through faith. Our king is not so highly exalted on his throne that he has no time for you. Our king Christ after going through that agony, after going through that suffering, brings you as his brother or sister alongside him to bring praise to his father. He, as your great and merciful and faithful high priest, brings you into that inner holy place to worship the father so that you can draw near to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in time of need. He is not far off from you. This doctrine is so wonderful. Because wherever you are in life, you have a brother who can sympathize with you exactly where you are. In the words of Brown, he says, Suppose two friends, equally benevolent in their temper, equally attached to you, the one a person who had never suffered under the affiliations to which you are exposed, the other one who had experienced the same or at least a very similar course of trials. Would there not be a tenderness? in a suitableness, in a minuteness of appropriate attentions, attentions and consolations experienced from the latter, which in the very nature of things is impossible that the former, however kindly disposed, should yield. Is there not a tenderness in Christ? Is there not a suitableness in the fact that he became man like us? Is there not something there that we can cling to and hold fast to in our afflictions and in our weakness, that he was made like us in our weaknesses, that he can understand the exact trial you're going through. Do you feel at times as though God has forsaken you? Take heart. If you're a believer, Christ has been forsaken so you don't have to be. When, when we, like David in this psalm, cry out, wondering why God has forsaken us, we can be reminded that our brother was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and not, not so that we just drive ourselves into this utter despair, thinking, he went through so much, and I went through so little, why am I even crying right now? No. We can be reminded that our Savior went through so much, in order that he can help you in that little minute thing that you're going through. Our Savior went through so much suffering that the littlest suffering you go through, he can sympathize with because he's been there. And he's done that. He understands. He's not far off. He has been cast off and afflicted in a much greater way Are you lowly and afflicted? Your elder brother was brought so low that he took the name of a worm. Those closest to you may scorn and despise you, but you have a friend that will never leave your side. So let the mocking come our way. Our enemies can wag their heads at us, for there is coming a day when our Lord will deliver us. In exact vengeance on his adversaries, we who delight in our Lord will be brought to glory. Our Christ 
had to trust our God from birth. Our kinsman has gone before you and has trusted his God through and through. The toddler, preteen, teen, young adult, Christ was there. He walked that road. And he didn't talk back to his mom. He was obedient to his parents. He went through your struggle. And he didn't sin. And so when you have that struggle with sin, when, when you have that struggle in life, you can know that you have a Redeemer who you can call out to and receive strength from. Because he understands. Not only did he fight sin, but our king was victorious over sin. When God was far off from him, had forsaken him, and he realized there was none to help, no person in all of creation could help him. He was hated by those whom he created, yet Christ continued calling out to his father. His enemies were strong like the bulls of Bashan, surrounding him and opening their mouths wide to devour him. There is no amount of pain and torture you can receive that Christ cannot sympathize with. Christ went through all of that pain, forsaken by God, but he has promised that he will be with you to the ends of the earth. So whether it's disaster or grief, pain and sorrow, your life may be poured out like water, all of your bones out of joint. The pain can be so burdensome that your heart melts within your breast. With no strength remaining, you lay in the dust of death while dogs encompass you and the strong bowls of Bashan surround you, gloating, stealing what little bit you have left. Your Christ is not far off in that moment. His death has delivered you from death and his resurrection from the power of that dog. The mouth of the lion has no power over you. For you are Christ and Christ is God's. And that God-man, Jesus Christ, has brought you nearer to the throne of grace than any Old Testament saint under that covenant ever was able to enter. So praise him, you who fear the Lord. Praise him, you offspring of Jacob. Stand in awe of him, you offspring of Israel. Our God has never despised or abhorred his saints. We may be afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We may be perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Christ, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Christ is so near to you. Flesh of your flesh. Bone of your bone. He has the same father you have. Both spiritually and physically. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. So I end then with a simple plea. 
Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you full of pity, love, and power. Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you may never come at all. Our Jesus invites you to come and find rest in him. He proclaims that his load is easy and his burden is light. The burden you carry right now, if you do not have Christ, the burden you carry right now, that eternal weight of sin, is much too heavy. It will follow you to the grave and before the throne of God, and you will not be able to give an account for it before him. But Christ's load is so easy. Christ's burden is so light. That burden of sin can only be cast off by a brother, a close relation, a kinsman who is sinless, one who has defeated sin. No, make no mistake here. I'm not here to present a weak Christ. Because our Savior who died in weakness was raised by the power of God and he lives by the power of God. And he will return and he will judge the living and the dead. And he will judge with eyes like a flame of fire. So come unto him while his burden is light. Seek him while he may be found. For the time is now. Let's pray. O great God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you are a God of promises, and it is in your promises that we take such great delight. That we don't have to bear our burdens on our own. Not only do we have a a church and a people who are willing to bear one another's burdens, but we have Christ. We have you as our Savior. And oh Christ, would you be near to us in time of trouble? Would you stay with us unto the ends of the earth? And when our times of grief and sorrow seem to assail, Christ, would you be nearer to us then? When our faith feels so weak, when our assurance is lacking, oh Christ, would you come and assure us that we have been bought by your blood? Father, we know that the troubles on this side of heaven will not end. But we know that you're with us through them all. So help us to come boldly to your throne that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Help us to be near to one another, to be a church who looks at the truth of Christ and tries to act like Christ to one another. Father, help us in our weaknesses. Give us strength to worship you. In Christ's name, amen. As we move into partaking in communion, uh, my mind went to, it took me a second to find it here, but um, the 17th century Puritan, 
I had, the words of him resonated with uh, this passage this morning and exhortation that was given. He or she says this, Sin is my melody, my monster, my foe, my viper, born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my faculties, following me as a shadow, intermingling with my every thought, my chain that holds me captive in the empire of my soul. Sinner that I am, why should the sun give me light? The air supply breath, the earth bear my tread. Its fruits nourish me, its creatures subserve my ends. Yet thy compassions yearn over me, Thy heart hastens to my rescue. Thy love endured my curse. Thy mercy bore my deserved stripes. Let me walk humbly. Let me walk humbly in the lowest depths of humiliation, bathed in thy blood, tender of conscience, triumphing gloriously as an heir of salvation. As Puritan was speaking on the precious blood of Christ in Last week, I, uh, speaking of the, the seven virtues that I want to give you here over the next few weeks of the reconciling blood of Christ, this week, the life-giving blood of Christ. So as we partake in communion, um, I think Calvin puts it the best in that of Christ's spiritual presence within this ordination, within the Lord's Supper, uh, it's not as if Christ comes down and is carnally in the elements, but rather spiritually, and he reaches down and lifts us up into heaven as we partake in this foreshadow of the, the great feast in eternity. And so John, in John chapter 6, Jesus speaking, and this isn't directly speaking of the Lord's Supper because it hasn't been instituted yet, um, but there's, there's many parallels. And so Christ says, whoever feeds, this is verse 54 of John 6, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What a great promise there is there. It, and he's speaking there of, of those who embrace the life-giving blood. The life-giving blood, the one who embraces it, receives eternal life. Receives eternal life through Christ. And, and so those who trust in the finished work of Christ's blood on the cross possess something with transcendent value. And that is that inheritance. That inheritance that awaits. And, and so Christ promise that he gave at the Lord's Supper, that he has gone to prepare a place, and, and he said he will not drink of the fruit of the vine until we do so together in his Father's house. Uh, that is a great promise that, that we get to cling to. And so Christ, his, his life-giving blood, it, it injects liveliness to the lifeless. It, it, it rejuvenates the, the faint-hearted. It energizes the weary. It echoes 
I'll leave us at this. The promise in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Isaiah, they're speaking of us clinging to the promises of God. So as we cling to the promise that he has given us at that institution of at the Lord's Supper, that he's gone to prepare a place, that he's going to return and gather us to himself. So clinging to that promise, clinging to the, all the promises of God, Isaiah says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. So waiting on, on those promises, renew their strength. He says, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray. Heavenly gracious Father, we thank you for, for your word. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for the ordination of the Lord's Supper as we get to partake in. Every time we gather and, and to reflect on the promises, those internal, eternal promises that you have given. Father, I pray you bless the elements, set them aside for a holy use. That we reflect on the fact that we can partake in them in a holy use as your, your son, our kinsman, redeemer, our brother, has made way for us to enter into the Holy of Holies. For let us rejoice as we approach the Lord's table. Let us rejoice as we reflect on, on the shed blood and the eternal value of his sacrifice. Father, we pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.